You're listening to The Omni Show, where we connect with the amazing community surrounding The Omni Group's award-winning products. My name's Andrew J. Mason, and today we hang out with Ken Case, talking about the 2023 roadmap for The Omni Group. Well, welcome everybody to this episode of The Omni Show. My name's Andrew J. Mason, and today we have the legend, <laughs> Ken Case, with us in the house. Thank you, Ken, so much for joining us. All right. Thank you, Andrew. I'm excited to be here. Man, so I, I can't wait to dive into this good stuff. Uh, 2023 is looking so exciting. But even before I go there, I want to talk about 2022. It was a big year. We celebrated Omni Group's 30th anniversary. So cool. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the way that Omni Group has interacted with its community and how that's changed over the last 30 years. What does that look like and how does it look like today? Sure. Well, as I was thinking back on doing this for 30 years, I was thinking about how we used to talk with our community 30 years ago before we had the World Wide Web on most people's desks or even in their pockets. Where most people were not yet on the internet, we would you know, maybe see each other at a conference once a year or... Mostly we would interact over mailing lists, sometimes over Usenet news groups, things like that. There were, of course, some chat systems around back then, the Internet Relay Chat. I was involved in some of the predecessors to that, like the Internet Relay Chat and so on. But yeah, quite a lot of change over the, yeah, <laughs> the decades. Seeing, of course, the rise of various big sort of central sites for people to gather, and I don't know whether that was AOL, which I was never on personally, but I saw this sort of happening over on the side while the community that we were interacting with wasn't so much on there. We were sort of this alternate community of federated email sites and so on, right, instead of a big central place where, where all of this stuff is hosted. And we've kind of seen these things rise and fall over the decades, you know, often the last for a good 10 years or something, but then sometimes it's time for a shift and something else comes along. So it's been fun over this past year, I think, to see. We've certainly enjoyed Twitter over the last 15 years of using it, but it's been fun to see some alternatives. Over the past year, we've had this rise of the Fediverse, uh, quote-unquote, with Mastodon and other services sort of linking together. And instead of it being just a single centralized communication place, it's a bit more like the web itself or like email, where you can have different software running on, in different places and with sort of a different flavor to it, but they can still all communicate with each other. And I think that's a really good basis for building a system like this. So, What I love is that it almost doesn't even matter what the method the vehicle is, that there is this common bond that unites us. We all want to see ourselves be as productive as possible. We all want to make the software as good as possible. And whether that's, you know, Usenet 30 years ago uh, to more recently co-creating with this really rapid feedback loop in, in a place like Slack. Uh, talk to me about why that's important for people. Well, I don't know whether the listeners think it's important, but it's certainly important to us. Otherwise, we can get lost not knowing, you know, what other people need from us. If, we, if we're not listening to the community around us, how do we know what is important to the people that we're trying to build this for, right? We, it's really important, I think, to be able to listen to hear those stories. And you know, on that note, I should congratulate you for the uh, the Omni Show's hundredth episode that came yes. out a few months ago. <laughs> and, uh, Thank you, Ken. Yeah, this is you know, of course, this uh, podcast is one of the ways that we try to connect with our community and hear some of those stories. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Ken. I, I appreciate that. I'm I'm honored, of course, and. One of the reasons I love this team and this community is that we really take seriously listening to people, like actually listening to them. I, I think in society, sometimes we glorify the Steve Jobs figure, you know, not him himself, but just this figure of like, 
I know what the customer needs. It's an iPod. It has one button and the customer doesn't even know what they need until they see it. And then there's this aha moment where they understand, oh, this is how it should have been all along. I think for every one of those, there's like thousands of use cases where, no, you really should be listening to the customer or the person that's using the software because they know better than anybody. And I think people can tell. A community of people knows when somebody listens. I remember last time we talked, Ken, you mentioned uh, opening up the test flight for OmniFocus 4 and over 7,000 people jumped in and just wanted to kick the tires and see what it was all about and provide feedback on that process and how useful that is that we're able to, in real time with tighter iterations, be able to see what's working, what isn't working and develop in the right direction. Can you speak a little bit about what's happened since those 7,000 people have signed up and where that process has gone? Sure. Well, of course, we've continued on with plenty of test flight builds since then. I don't remember exactly when we last talked. I think we had not yet done the Mac test flight. Matt brought in a bunch of new folks, of course, when one is available on, uh, in more places, then more people are interested in checking it out. And so we, we filled up. We hit the 10,000 limit that test flight has for how many users there are. And then we went back, okay, who hasn't been active necessarily for the last few months? If they haven't been using it for, you know, some people check it out and they decide, okay, I'm going to wait now for the final release. I don't need to be in the process the whole time. Maybe they give some early feedback and then, and then they're gone for a while, but they're still taking up a spot there in that. So we pruned it out, cleared, cleared it out, went through several rounds of that, and we keep bumping back up to that limit. So, <laughs> so it's nice to see that the people seem to really be engaging with it. We're hearing good feedback from customers about how frequently in the past they have gone from OmniFocus to another tool, and then the other tool doesn't quite do what they need, so they come back to OmniFocus, but something ends up being a little frustrating for them and doesn't feel right, and they feel like, well, maybe if I switch tools again, I'll find what I'm looking for, and this back and forth. But more recently, we've started to see feedback, like, oh, Hazley just shared one from Reddit where somebody said, yeah, you know, I was doing that for years, but now with version four, I've been on it the last year plus, and it's great. I'm done. <laughs> this is, I don't need to keep looking because I think Omni Group has you know, finally hit all the right notes or whatever. <laughs> Gosh, that's such that that's really satisfying feedback to hear because, you know, yeah, if there's software that's better going to serve your needs, I, I want you to, to use that. Whatever's going to help you be the most productive. But for somebody to say, hey, I've looked everywhere, I've tried everything and I've come back to home base. And this is just it for me now that these changes have been made and uh, that we've been listening. That's that's really cool to hear. Uh, I'd love to throw the question your way. I've, I always tell people when you're doing an interview, you get one free selfish question, no matter what or who the guest is. So I'm going to ask a question purely for my own benefit. <laughs> sure. <Yeah. laughs> More than one question. That's not good. That's kind of selfish, but just one question. Anybody can do that. And so I, I was thinking earlier this week about, you know, the 30 year anniversary and just over time, the staying power that the Omni Group has had. And there's a temptation in our culture, I feel like, to go for the shiny thing, you know, the instant gratification, the alert system, the th you know, something pops up, I got to look at it, the attention switching, just there's so much that leans in that direction in our culture or just, you know, in our world at large, I guess. And I feel like some of what's made Omni successful is this willingness to push all of that at bay and say, we're going to intentionally work on focus on the things that are high value, maybe not as urgent, but definitely as important. And there's a tension there because it's never really done, but it is just finished. But uh, there's <laughs> right. <laughs> I so appreciate that our team is willing to do the marathon and not the sprint. 
And I realize I'm rambling a little bit, so there there is a question hidden here somewhere, and I'm not even honestly sure how to frame it, but just this idea that uh, speak to that slice where it's I'm intentionally, we're, as a team, we're intentionally developing software and not just looking at the thing that's happening the second. And, and does that play into why the Omni Group has had so much staying power that it's had? Sure. Well, I think we have several advantages over, I guess, you know, part of it is this longevity of experience. It's kind of seeing fads come and go and knowing that what we're trying to do is something that's a bit more lasting than that. And that our goal is not simply to grow our audience as fast as we can or to make as much money as we can. We wanted, of course, to make enough money to be a sustainable business. But all of that is in service of trying to make the best products we can. And by products, in this case, what I really mean are tools that magnify our potential as humans with brains. <laughs> Steve Jobs had this concept that he uh, talked about, which I reference as one of our sort of inspirational touch points that we think back on quite a bit of the computer being a bicycle for the mind. And I think we probably talked about this actually in a previous podcast episode. So I won't go back over all of that again. But that notion that we're building tools that help people be more productive, accomplish more with less energy. And that can be mental energy, it can be time investment, all of those things. If you can accomplish more with less work being done by your brain, then that's what we find to be useful. And so those are the things that we're looking for, right? We're not looking for what is the latest fad of something we're looking for. Okay, does this actually let me do more with less attention? I mean, sometimes those fads have good reasons for coming into existence, right? Like maybe you want to clean up the interface a bit, it's gotten too busy. And so a fad with a sort of cleaner design with these extra distractions out of the way does make sense. But sometimes those things will go overboard as well. And and I can't say that we're immune to that, right? We, we will follow some of these things a bit and and then we'll say, well, but did that really serve the goal of, is it now easier for people to approach the software and do what they're trying to do and understand what they're doing? Or did we take away the guiding points that can help them navigate? And now it's too easy to be lost because it got too clean <laughs> as part of this design. So as we've been looking at, for example, OmniFocus 4 in particular, we've been taking this opportunity to step back and think about what are we actually trying to do? What is the user's core core benefit that they're getting from the software? And how do we get them into that as quickly as possible without all of the distractions of how do I navigate from one place to another and so on? And let them do that basic interaction while still providing mechanisms that let you get to all of the power that we've had before. We don't want to take any of that power away because that deep power is part of what makes OmniFocus so useful for people. But we want it to be approachable for everyone. And even if you're an expert at OmniFocus and doing it for years, it doesn't hurt to have something that is easier to use and cleaner to sit down at and, and so on. No, I love that because, you know, you ask certain questions to get a certain result. And I feel like questions that the Omni Group are asking are a very specific, intentional set of questions uh, in order to drive a specific type of result. So that's awesome. Diving a little bit deeper from the 30,000-foot view of the development of OmniFocus, you mentioned that as you look back over the past, oh, my gosh, there's something that showed up here. <laughs> sure. And it's a little bit of a pattern that emerged. Uh, speak to that pattern and how there's this kind of super cycle of, soft of software development. Well, people often ask us, of course, when is the next version coming out? They'll start asking that as soon as we ship the previous version, <laughs> whatever that is. And our answer has always been, well, it'll be out when it's ready, when, you know, when, you know software is done before it's time. But, you know, kind of, uh, and so we're sitting there waiting for, I mean, we're not, we're not just sitting back and waiting. We're not just sitting idle and like waiting 
we obviously want this to happen and we're still polishing the previous versions where we still have you know we didn't stop with 3.0 we went on and did 3.1 we're quite up to 3.19 now or something and we keep continuing to do updates you know even as recently as this week <laughs> we're still putting out updates to the old software as well as building the new one in parallel so it's never something where the later versions in some sense ought to take less time because you've built this before to some degree and you kind of know what you're building but on the other hand you're also still maintaining the old stuff at the same time with the same team and your time is intentionally divided so looking back at the patterns anyway we started working on omnifocus one goodness what year was that that was probably 2006 or so and it ended up shipping in about 2008 we started doing public tests in 2007 and a lot of people were using that and then we finally shipped right around well, in January, to Macworld of 2008. And so if we look at that, of course, a lot change happened through that 1.0 cycle as we introduced it for the iPhone and the iPad and everything else. Version 2, though, came along uh, about six years later. And then version 3 came along about four years after that in 2018. And so what we're realizing is that, oh, it usually takes us about five years to go from one major release to another. And that's just how long it takes between all of the stuff we're trying to get done still in the old version and maintaining it and all of the new design work that we're doing on the new version that as we experiment with different approaches and try to figure out what is it that we really need to do to make this release as good as it can be. I love that because anytime that there's waiting involved, you know, there's always that person that's like, oh my gosh, this is taking forever. Right. And, <laughs> and you're like, well, actually, if you look at the data, kind of right on track here. So that's cool. But do you mind speaking to where we are in that overall cycle? I know we've talked through the milestones before, but would you lay out those milestones and where we currently find ourselves in that development process? Sure. So when we start this process, of course, we're listening a lot, I guess. We're listening to feedback from our customers. What are people finding is working well for them and is not working? You know, what are the points of friction that we want to improve in the next version? So the initial phases are all just kind of collecting feedback as we maintain the release of the previous version. Then we start to put together, okay, well, here are our high-level goals. Here are the features we're working toward. And let's get something out to a place where it's now testable and we can invite other people to kind of start working with us through this process and figuring out as we introduce a feature, does this work or not? You know, does this really help someone's workflow or not? So we have the feature milestone where we're adding new features, deciding exactly what the feature set is. And then at some point we have to decide, okay, that is the feature set so we can get started on the documentation, so we can make sure our designs sort of incorporate all those features and say, okay, well, that's mostly locked in. We call it a feature freeze. Sometimes we call it a feature slush because we'll still introduce a few things later on. But here's our feature freeze. And that process of building out the features and getting them to where we want them to be, you know, will often take a year or two even because this is sort of the bulk of the new functionality that is going into this new release. It's coming from this feature freeze milestone. Then there's the aspect of, okay, well, are these features, you know, we have the features in the app, but are they presented in the best ways that this is as easy to use as it can be? This is our design phase where we're still optimizing the design so that the features are approachable, they're all exposed well, they all fit together and make sense. And, you know, that there's a mental model you can use to, to understand the app, not just a jumble of features that, oh, well, here's yet another thing in a menu somewhere and another thing, and they don't necessarily have a clear rhyme or reason to them, which... If we just stopped at feature freeze, I mean, I'm sure if people looked at OmniFocus, the test flight a year ago, where we had finished feature freeze, but we hadn't done all of the design work we've done in this past year, you would see that there's still a lot of work to be done. 
Uh, and so that's the design phase milestone, and that's now coming to a close here. As we have gotten the app settled into a nice workflow on all of the platforms, that it is consistent, people can easily map from one device to another and they understand what's going on. Uh, and I think that aspect of OmniFocus 4 in particular is stronger than any previous version of OmniFocus, right? Where the iPhone version really had its own sort of way of navigating and the iPad had its own way and the Mac had its own way. And, you know, you could collapse and expand outlines on the Mac, but not on any of the other devices. You had rich text on the Mac, but not on the others. You got click open. But meanwhile, on like the iPhone, maybe you had the, uh, the nearby functionality and some of the time stuff that alerts and so on that over time, we've tried to get more and more of it to go back and forth. But here in version four, I think we've really brought that full functionality to a place where it's all available on all your devices, at least if it makes sense. Obviously, on a tiny iPhone screen, you don't want a three-column wide view like you might want in your iPad or Mac. So that's design trees. Even with all those design, that design work finished off, that's now a point where we can start several other pieces of the downstream work to getting the shipping in parallel, where we continue to work on the app itself with usability and accessibility, stability and performance. Like some of that, of course, we've worked on all along. It's not very testable if you don't have it. It'll be somewhat usable. But some of the bugs we said... This can wait until a later milestone. It's keyboard shortcuts or something, and we know how to make that work. And right now, the priority is just to make sure they're even in the right place. <laughs> but then meanwhile, in parallel, we can get started on the documentation work, you know, taking screenshots of the app because the design is finished. We're still a company that likes to write documentation that takes you all the way through the app from start to finish. So if you finish, you know, you read through the documentation, you know what's there. You don't have to go search some Q&A site and try to guess at what you should be looking for in order to find the functionality you need, you know that there's always this sort of complete description from the company itself about how the software works. And so we do that for all of our apps. Uh, and of course, localization is where we translate the app into other languages or localize it for other locales that still speak the same languages. So we have that localization piece. And then as that all kind of comes together, we're ready to hit code trees and, and ship the app. So there's still months of work left, but it's not the years of work that we had in those earlier phases of feature trees and design trees. It's a really interesting process because it starts with those big rocks and they take longer to move and then it gets smaller for the rocks and, and more nuanced. And uh, it's cool to see people who have maybe taken a look at the beta version, said, I don't know if this is necessarily for me, checked out or hit pause. Maybe it is. I don't know. But then come back a year and a half later and say, oh, my gosh, this, this is checking all the boxes. This is perfect. <laughs> Just knowing that there are people that have hit pause and then come back to it and given such positive feedback, it, it really is satisfying and it, it makes us feel like we're on the right course. Absolutely. And I really do feel like major release is the right terminology for it because of the ground up build in Swift UI. Uh, you're way more versed in this than I am. So do you mind maybe just sharing a little bit about what that does when you're able to rework the entire thing from bottom to top in SwiftUI? Yeah, yeah. Happy to. So SwiftUI, for those who don't know, is a new technology from Apple. Well, I say new. It was new when we started this process a few years ago. <laughs> Completely new at that point. And it has evolved and improved each year as Apple continues working on it. And we have rebuilt the interface in the iPhone and iPad apps to be completely done in SwiftUI. And then having done that, we were able to, what I should say about the SwiftUI technology is that it's cross-platform. It's not just for the iPhone and iPad 
or just for the Mac, the way the older UI kit and app kit frameworks were, where they were platform specific. It's a cross-platform technology from Apple that lets you do these implementations once. You still have to tweak it for your platforms, but you can share a lot of that code now from one platform to another. And here I'm talking about interface code, not just the model code, which we've all shared, the syncing code, the database code, and so on. That, that was always cross-platform because all of Apple's platforms have this same underlying Unix sort of based around the old Next technologies that we worked with 30 years ago that has worked the same on all of them. The layers where you interact with the screen, with the keyboard, if it exists, and with the touch device panels and so on, that has been different on all of these platforms until now with SwiftUI. And so some of the benefits that we've gotten out of doing this work now in SwiftUI is, for example, we rewrote the perspective editor in SwiftUI on iOS, and then we brought that exact same perspective logic to the Mac. And then as we were continuing on through our cycle and saying, oh, well, let's make forecast a little bit more flexible. Let's make it so that you can reorder items and place them in whatever order you like, or let's uh, let you collapse and expand projects that are that show up in forecast. So you don't, so when a project is due, you don't have to see all of its children right away. You can expand it to see the children if you want, but you can collapse it or not, just like you can do in the project outline all along. When we brought that capability to the iPhone and iPad, we also brought it to the Mac at the same time, instead of having to build it twice. The exact same code now just worked everywhere. And again, with a little tweaking so that it looks nice because it's not the most mature framework yet, <laughs> but, but it's so much nicer to be able to share that logic and then to be able to iterate more quickly on these features. And so I look forward, did it save us a lot of time so far? Well, to some degree, of course, we were rebuilding stuff that we'd already built. So maybe not, I felt like we might now be at the break-even point where going forward now, I can see how this propels us into the future. So just to make sure I fully understand, because of the way that this has been coded in SwiftUI, there are potentially future chunks of code that can be used, double used, triple used, depending on what the device is, uh, for a feature such as, you know, let's say collaboration or, you know, I'm not really saying anything specific or not, but, you know, something that's a future possibility can be uh, more quickly coded in theory. Yeah, absolutely. And collaboration, to be clear, yes, that is very much on our roadmap. <laughs> and something we've been thinking about through this whole 4.0 process, not that we were trying to deliver it for the initial 4.0 release, but that we wanted this to be a foundation that then propel us towards being able to implement that. I'm sorry, I, I had to. Uh, I just love the concept of collaboration so much, especially with OmniFocus. It just is, is mind-blowing for me. Uh, but that wasn't the only place that the focus, pardon the pun, dad joke, was in this roadmap post. You also gave some attention to another bit of software. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, OmniGraphical has long been one of our most popular apps. It's now approaching 20 years old as well. No, no, sorry, it is 20 years old. We shipped it with OS 10, which of course shipped in 2001. So now it's like 22 years old this, later this year. Half time flies. <laughs> so it is in version seven at the moment. Obviously it's been around longer than an OmniFocus. So it's, had, it's gotten to a much higher version number. And we've been thinking about, well, looking back at the feature request from some of those early years, what were people looking for right then and there? And then also thinking about how the app has developed over time as we've added features, which things you know might have gotten decluttered as we did the iPad or bust and sort of motion of bringing all of our apps to the iPad. You know, OmniGraphle was one of those first apps that was there on the launch day for the iPad. Again, because of this split between the Mac's app kit and the iPad and iPhone's UI kit, 
that kind of slowed us down a bit, right? We suddenly had to be building two apps and maintaining two apps and doing all of this extra work. And much like we are doing now with OmniFocus 4 for OmniGraphle 8, we are rebuilding that interface code with shared switch UI logic so that as we work on improvements to the inspectors, for example, or the way you interact with palettes and so on, all of that work is shared and can be done more easily across all of the platforms. And so as we're now sort of redesigning and rebuilding the whole app, just as we did with OmniFocus, we're thinking about, well, then what is it that is essential to the app? What are people trying to do when they first sit down with it? How can we make that easier for everybody? Whether you've been using every version of OmniGraphle since 22 years ago, this version 1.0, all the way to now, or whether it's brand new to you and you're just sitting down at it for the first time and you want to do something, we would like for that to be as easy as possible, as approachable as possible. And not that we want to get rid of the deep features. We want that to still be easy to access and approachable, but we don't want it to be overwhelming, which I think it often can be with a mature product. Oh my gosh, it's it's another jam-packed year. Uh, I feel exhausted for you about the the roadmap ahead, but it's it's exciting stuff. I mean, it's it's definitely an energizing prospect to hear all of this coming down the pipeline. So that's really cool. Is there anything else that you would want to share with our listeners or let people know? I guess I want to note that we have certainly also been thinking about where we're going with OmniPlan next, where we're going with OmniOutliner next. They have had their big releases more recently than OmniFocus and OmniGraphle, so it's not their turn this year. But we're in those earlier stages now of thinking about, okay, well, what happens as we approach their feature-facing milestones later on, right? Like, what, are, what will we be trying to get done for them? And I can't wait to look at those as well, right? In some ways, choosing your favorite software app that you've produced is a bit like choosing your favorite child, right? There isn't a favorite. There's things you're proud of about each one that are different. And I enjoy working on each of them in turn. That's awesome, Ken. Thank you so much uh, for spending time with us. I always enjoy the opportunity to get to hang out for a little bit. Thank you. To you and to the listeners who are taking the time to listen to this. There's no reason to do this if there isn't an audience out there who's interested in knowing that. So I hope that this has been valuable. Definitely. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. Hey, and thank all of you for listening today, too. You can drop us a line on Twitter at The Omni Show. You can also find out everything that's happening with The Omni Group at omnigroup.com slash blog. Thank you.